Hi, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. It's number 175 today. Uh, it's got the usual crew back for today's episode, John, Logan, and Phil. Uh, the main topic today is going to be on workbenches. We have a couple of workbench builds in process, a few that we've completed, and a question about workbenches that we'll be addressing. We'll also dip into listener questions and comments as well. Hope you enjoy today's episode, and thanks for listening. Today's sponsor is Woodline USA. You know them for their reputation for providing you with professional and affordable carbide router bits and shaper cutters. But today, Woodline USA is much more than that. Whether you need blades for a planer, joiner, table saw, bandsaw, or whatever, they have the right choice for the application and material that you're working with. They also carry many woodworking jigs and accessories to make your time in the shop more efficient. For more information or a free catalog, visit woodline.com. Last week we had the inimitable Ben Strano and Chris Fitch on for a discussion about CNCs and lasers and 3D printers and things like that. Just a couple of comments to go with that. Uh, Stephen Draper wanted to know what the material costs for the CNC, the Mark II version that, CN that Chris is working on. And in talking with Chris... He was ballparking it in the $1,400 to $1,500 for the mechanics. That's uh, both materials and the uh, CNC kit that we're getting from buildyourcnc.com. Mm -hmm. And then another 120 for the license that operates machine, uh, about 200 to 300 depending on what you need for software so you can design projects that will generate the g-code so what i think is a pretty decent price less than two thousand dollars or right around two thousand dollars for a 24 by 48 inch machine seems like a pretty sweet deal and me. it's i mean it's honestly not that much more if you wanted to expand it to four foot by four foot you know Oh, right. Yeah. So if you want to go a little larger, like that's kind of like the base price. And then it's just a little bit to get a little bit bigger. Yeah. Yeah. So. Depending on how you want to accessorize. Yeah. Yeah. Then there was another uh, comment about having music playing while the CNC is routing when we were talking about it. And uh, T. Gackins, blah, 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 132 says the music for a CNC should be Ride of the Valkyries. Mm. That's wrong. Uh, yeah, I it mean, should be ACDC uh, TNT. Yeah, right. I feel day. like that too. All day. Uh, just not yakety sax. <laughs> Unless you're doing it as a time lapse, then it's appropriate. Logan, you had a comment about one of our previous episodes when we were discussing yeah. your shop floor and radiant heat and insulation and all that nonsense that we are very, on. <laughs> very unexpertised yeah so i so i figured my buddy nelson would uh jump in here and he did he sent me a message like i think that weekend um and i just had i hadn't forgotten about it i responded back to him but i forgot to read it the last couple of podcasts so uh read the thermostat with a slab temp sensor the sensor is not to monitor and tell us if we're in uh thermal meltdown for our concrete um he said long story short uh it is basically 
the temp you're setting at is the temp at the sensor, not the temp of the air in the room. So if you set it at 80 degrees, it's going to heat up the concrete until it's 80 degrees, which okay. I guess makes sense. Um, it basically, in big caps, he says, once you get it to where it's comfortable, set it and stop messing with it. That's all in caps. <laughs> uh, he said, unlike forced air, small and frequent adjustments are not recommended, which I think is this is where it's going to play really well with my mini split system, where I can set like the radiant floor to be like a bare 60 degrees, let's call it, right? To keep everything in here above freezing. And then I can use my mini splits to kind of like bump the temp up when I'm in here. You know, he Nelson will let me know if I'm wrong on that. But um, he said, rewalk around with uh, stocking feet in your shop. He said, honestly, that's the best way to fully appreciate the heated floor. Um, he said, as soon as you put socks on, you can't feel it. So I might be walking around barefoot. So don't <laughs> don't judge me. Uh, <laughs> I'm just I'm paraphrasing everything Nelson said because he wouldn't want me to read this all. Uh, they'll read the lack of thermal break in between the uh, heated and unheated parts of the shop. Yeah, it might have been helpful to put a strip of foam there to save BTU migration, but I wouldn't consider it a catastrophic error. But speaking of catastrophic errors, the concrete guy is saying don't put foam around the perimeter. He said, um, wow. I think he might have called them some names in this. Uh, he said, basically, when the snow starts flying, you'll probably notice that your shop has a perimeter of melted snow around the outside because I will be losing heat along the outside. It is what it is at this point. I've already flushed money down the toilet. Let's just let that leech keep on sucking. So, yep. Yeah. Hmm. So I do, I, have a, uh, I do have a good response from... Uh, my dude Jared over at Blue Spruce that makes the saws. I think maybe we'll save that till next week because, okay. or next podcast, because I bumped my saw till build to the next issue. Um, All right. just for, for multiple reasons. But Jared has some, as a saw builder, Jared has some really good suggestions. Okay. Is, or is it because you just keep buying saws? I mean, that doesn't help. <laughs> it's ended up because I kind of ended up being laid up most of October. Sure. So that's why I bumped it. And I, I had projects in the hopper, so it's like I just plugged a different one in, which is fine. Yeah. Um, but Jared sent me a really good list of suggestions as a sawmaker, what his suggestions were. So okay, I'm going to go right. through those and, and kind of pick out what I'm going to put into my saw till i had the idea for a shop notes project of like a saw scabbard where it's like a saw till except having everything facing out it would be flat and you wouldn't have space for like a bajillion saws that some people need but that you would do it you would have so two saws, like big long hand saws facing out, like a rip saw and a yep. cross cut saw. Okay. Yep. Then in front of it, you could have a little slot for uh have a slot for like a larger back saw. And I would have them down handles up. Oh god, you're gonna make me do this without <laughs> trying to cut myself. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So something like that. Like that. Yeah. And then in front of that, like have space for like a tenon back saw or, you know, like a big okay. rip back saw. And then in front of that, another one for like a dovetail saw. 
So they then all it's slide low profile. in. Like, then they just kind of like shoot, shoot, shoot. Yeah, it's very if. Then it would be like if Legolas was a carpenter <laughs> this and is how carried his, his saws <laughs> on his back, it would be like ripsaw, crosscut <laughs> saw. You know, yeah, it would be like the whole elfish short yeah. swords. Right, that mm-hmm. would be sweet. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm down. I'm down. You you had me at Legolas. Yeah, yeah. maybe <laughs> a couple small throwing saws. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh. Yeah, off the side yeah. you'd have a couple of the well, at least one like the the blue spruce gent saw because then you could just easily yeah. reach that <laughs> one. Yep. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I told Strong. you guys last week. I had, oh, a couple podcasts ago, I said that saws have been my issue lately. Right. And when I was in Omaha for an Omaha Woodworkers Guild meeting uh, two weeks ago. I, I, I swung by. I, get, I usually get there early enough to like set up, and then I got a little bit of time before we go have dinner beforehand and then go do the, the demo and whatever. So they have a brass armadillo there. Um, okay. There's a couple of them in the, in the Midwest, one in Des Moines, one in Omaha. I think there might be one more in Kansas City. Yes. Um, so I always try to swing down through there. And there was this lonely saw just hanging out on the wall by itself. And I saw it. And so, so Distin made saws, right? We all, we, I think we know that. Um, they made very few saws with wheat carved handles, much like this. Right. Okay. Generally, these wheat carvings were reserved for their higher end saws. Um, so their D12, their 120 Acme, um, just kind of their, their higher, higher end saws. And this one kind of caught my eye because A, the plate is like, perfectly straight the handle is really nice it has this weird like ombre where you can see where the original finish was and it somebody's hand wore off the finish which is pretty awesome to me um and it was like 30 bucks i mean which is not it's not the cheapest saw i've ever bought you know i've bought many five dollar saws right but for what it was i'm like heck yeah so this is a, a distant d12 so i just keep adding on i did I did leave a saw in the brass armadillo here this last week. There was a Acme 120 saw there. Um, the plate was pretty shot, so I left it. But, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm not making excuses, but it was a nice-looking saw. And this is, so I have a saw being made by um, uh, Charlie Ernest and I believe this is the replica handle he made for my saw. So it'd be nice okay. to have an original as sure. well. So I think it'll be cool. So and it's got the proverbial nib on there. If you can see that, mm. mm-hmm. that nobody can really tell us what it's for. <laughs> right. I I think one thing I would like to make a few of because I occasionally bring saws into film and you know, whatever, bring them for demos. I've never made any like teeth guards, you know, like they'll, some guys will do like a leather, uh, do a, a hardwood strip with a kerf yeah. in it that goes over the teeth and then leather tongs that kind of go around it to hold it on. Um, I've never made one of those. I think, do you have one on one of yours, Phil? That might be what you're reaching for, but I've always, I wanted to make a few of those for my saws, but I think I need a, Decide which saws I'm going to move. Yep. There it yeah. is. 
Well, so that's a hardboard one, right? Yeah, this one was modeled after one that I saw from Mario Rodriguez on mm-hmm. his Instagram channel. But he had it for his um, big, long hand saws. Yeah. So this is just a little 12-inch back saw that mm-hmm. I have. And so I just kind of quickly glued it up and put it together. I, what I need is some kind of a fastener to hold it in yep. place because right now it's... Yep. Um, and you know what? I, I, I see them on panel saws occasionally in flea markets. They're, I take that back. They may not necessarily be panel saws. They may be like greenwood saws. They'll have the big, long leather scabbards. Oh, yeah. And generally the ones I've, I've seen, I believe, are like U.S. Forestry Service or like a fire department saw for like fighting wildfires. They'll go through and hand cut brush and stuff. Right. Um, and they're kind of cool. I mean, they're always like spray painted bright yellow or bright pink so people didn't lose them. But, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I just thought it was funny that I kind of... I was kind of complaining about being you're buying saws and I just keep doing it. It's like, you know, we should just decriminalize all saw purchases. All <laughs> vintage Not to take away the waiting, purchases. the waiting period. And yeah, that's right. That's right. Anybody can have a saw. Yep. All right. Well, which is funny because it started with you using your saws a lot yeah. and saws yeah. more and then all of a sudden turned into kind of a shopping spree. Yep, sure did. Although, I think there's a uh, there's a Facebook group that I'm part of. It's the Saw Filers group. So it's like a it's a it's a Facebook it's the stupidest thing in the world. Facebook group just dedicated to saw saw sharpening. Okay. Okay. And there are guys on there that do like the competition green two man crosscut saws. Mm. Yeah. I so want one, not for any reason other than <laughs> just to see how nice it would cut. You know what? Because they'll have their big jig set up for their six foot long saws. They'll be filing the the points and their their pretty harsh spear points, and they have the the oh I don't know if they call them anvils or swages where they they hook the teeth the the chippers, um. And then they'll they'll have pictures of like doing that whole process, and then they'll have pictures of them cutting, and it's like the shaving. It looks like spaghetti noodles coming out. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm like, how freaking cool would that be to get out there and just be able to cut through a 20 inch oak log in you know a minute? That right. would be fun. Like that. No, those fun. are Do I, those are cool. I like the the one man ones where it looks like just yeah. a 45 inch long handsaw. Yep, two handle usually, like a top straight handle and a D handle on it. Yes. Yep. So, I don't know. I've never bought one. I don't think I will because they're usually beat to crap, but Mm -hmm. they look You will. Keep an eye out for next podcast when Logan shows (laughs) off his... No. No. Yeah. (laughs) Somebody on here is listening and they have one and they're going to contact you and you won't be able to resist. Nope. Nope. The only thing, if somebody gets a hold of me and says, hey, I have a... I'm not going to say a bridge for it. If somebody has a mill, or if somebody has a good... <laughs> I missed out... Uh, I think I told you, Phil. I missed out on an anvil this week that I was so upset about. Yes. Yeah. Because the guy had a great price on it, and it was in good shape. And in Iowa, 
most of the time the anvils you find are beat to crap. Mm-hmm. They've been They're well used. Oh man, they got a big sway back in them, and the you know the edges are all torn up and stuff. I've been hunting for an anvil since I sold mine a couple of years ago, and I missed out on one. I found another one that tugged at my heartstrings, but I was not going to pay $700 for an anvil. No way. Yeah, that's so. fair. So for any of the listeners out there, if you have yeah. a Bridgeport mill or an anvil, <laughs> or an anvil. <laughs> Logan's your man. Yeah, Anvil-shaped object. Right, yeah. So, in other news, you also, before we dive into the main topic for today, you also had a class at your shop, which yeah, I think it was the first class in the new space, it was. right? It was. Um, so, I was. it was supposed to be the second class. The first class got canceled because not enough people signed up. Um, I had a turning class here on Saturday uh, from the Des Moines Woodworkers. Um, I kind of hosted a woodworkers guide to turning so there's a des moines wood turners group so most people that are turners are in that group uh, most of the woodworkers aren't necessarily turners um i had five guys here which is good i didn't have to bring it i had i have five lathes um but i didn't bring the oliver in here i brought in the rikon from the shop um so i think of the five guys one or two of them, two I think two of them were regular turners. Um, Ken, the president of the Des Moines Wood Turners, was here. Oh, yeah. Um, he turns fairly regularly, as does one of the other gentlemen here. Um, but then three of them were like, yeah, kind of have turned, not really turned at all. Um, uh, I take that back. Uh, Rick, he teaches at one of the community colleges, like random turning classes occasionally. So he kind of has an idea on turning. So we did some turning, mainly concentrated on spindle roughing gouge um spindle gouge and parting tools so kind of spindle work did a bunch of christmas trees you know <laughs> kind of getting towards the season um more of a way to practice roughing out and the the parting tool and the bowl gouge um show them how i do some finishing um so yeah it was fun it was everybody had a great time um the shop is that's why i'm sitting facing this way because the <laughs> the rest of the shop's still a mess because there's shavings all over which to be fair, they're all like, hey, let us help you clean up. I'm like, nah, I got it because I'm going to turn around and make a mess anyways. Yeah. Um, it was also so, the first hindsight. first time that the uh, the Koenig lays been, has been started up in yeah. a while, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's see if I can flash the Koenig lathe over there. There, it there is. she is. Yep. Um, <laughs> so the Koenig lathe, I, I did unload all the attachments. So I picked them up from Dana, got the lathe set up. Um, Set it all up, kind of de-rusted the beds and stuff, and she purrs like a kitten. Oh, my gosh. Like, it is a smooth, for as lightweight as that lathe is, it is a smooth running lathe. Okay. And it come, it came with a bunch of attachments. I, I I know that you guys have heard this, but, like, there's two spiral attachments with it. Three, I'm sorry. Three spiral attachments for cutting spirals, like, on a twisted bedpost or something. Sure. There is two copying attachments. I mean, they're identical. I think when the magazine bought that lathe originally, it was like, hey, give us a couple of everything because, you know, it's coming from Germany. Who knows when you'll be able to get parts and whatever. And that was before internet. It was like you had to make a call or write a letter or whatever. Um I think, I think we used Telegraph just, back then. Yeah, to, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the Morse code. Yep. Um, it did come with a few 
things that I was happy to see. Uh, it came with a couple of screw chucks, like not not scroll chucks like we have. Um, it did come with one scroll chuck, but screw chucks where it's just a screw sticking out. Yeah. Those are super handy. It came with two of those. Uh, came with a bunch of what are called cup chucks. So a cup chuck is literally like a open-end cup. And you would get the wood roughly the right size, and you would just beat it into the cup, and that would drive it. Okay. So came with like four sizes of those. Came with a steady, a steady rest, a center steady, which is okay. kind of cool. And it came with two banjos, so the tool rest holders, the banjos. It came with two of those, maybe three, um, but at least two. And then it came with uh, 30 inch, 36 inch. It's metric, so it's probably whatever centimeters, uh, but like 36 inch long tool rests. It came with two of those, no. which that's actually something that I did not have that I really needed. I didn't need the lathe in the first place, but right. Like whenever I do long stuff, it would be sure be really nice to have a long tool rest and a center steady yeah. center, uh, you know, steady rest. So I now have those. So, Long story okay. short, I had planned on flipping this lathe. I don't think I'm going to because it's a pretty sweet little setup. Yeah. Well, so. and if you're going to get a used lathe, it's better for it to come with some chucks than none chucks. That's. <laughs> I mean, my son, my my nine year old son would argue with you on that because. Because what if it did? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. So the the one thing I thought was is interesting with this, and the spiral attachment. I'll 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 put photos up on how the spiral attachment sets up, how I think it sets up, because I can't find dang manual. I can't find anything for this stupid lathe. Yeah, it's it's pretty simple, I think, as far as the setup on it goes. But the only place I could get any direction from anybody is the ornamental wood turners group okay the guys that have the ornamental aids because they're used to working in the spiral and the rotational right. whatever in indexing um, and all that kind of craziness yeah, yeah yeah and there's and there's an index in the head and stuff um but it is interesting because it has a tubular bed so instead of being like a cast most lathes now have a cast bed and maybe hardened ways on there um this thing this is just like three inch square tubing um, on both the front and back. Now they're milled, uh, they're milled flat, but it's just, it's, it's a very interesting concept on this lathe. And it was, I think we were talking with Kurt the other day, Phil, I think we decided this lathe must've been from the early to mid eighties. I'm yeah. guessing. At least that's our, when we, when it ended up coming here, like who knows when, when it was, was originally made and you know yeah. how what was its exact story because i don't think anybody i guess we have to check with steve johnson he would probably be the only person that would know if he was here then to know exactly how it was purchased or why or whatever so or yeah. ted we'd have to check with ted yeah i could i could actually text ted and see but then i'm gonna have to tell him i didn't use his plan for my shave horse <laughs> So <laughs> there's that. I mean, I paid him for it though, so it was fine. Yeah. Yeah. 
Today's sponsor is Woodline USA. You know them for their reputation for providing you with professional and affordable carbide router bits and shaper cutters. But today, Woodline USA is much more than that. Whether you need blades for a planer, joiner, table saw, bandsaw, or whatever, they have the right choice for the application and material that you're working with. They also carry many woodworking jigs and accessories to make your time in the shop more efficient. For more information or a free catalog, visit woodline.com. You know, one of the th- you had sent a photo of one of the attachments for the Koenig uh, mm-hmm. on our Teams chat the other day, and I was kind of surprised because it's got like these wires that go around over pulleys, and there's a counterweight oh, yeah. on the backside. It was yep. like if you when you weren't using your Koenig lathe, you could set it up as a clock because it's got yeah, the pendulums and whatever. And oh yeah. Well, yeah. and it's it's funny because most spiraling attachments that I've seen, I mean, I think there might be one or two companies that make spiraling attachments still, but most of them are like homemade type ones, and most of the time it's driven off the headstock. So like you would, right. um, you know, bolt something to the back of your chuck, and that would be the pulley, and then there'd be you know chains going down to other pulleys to connect to whatever cross feed you're, you're using or whatever. Right. Um, but most of the time the, the chain is a loop or the, the, the cable or the rope is a loop where as you're moving it and it's rotating, it's just feeding from the backside. This doesn't, this uses these big, huge counterweights. Like you said, like a clock and that's what applies the resistance to make everything go back to the position it was in before. It's just, it's just, yeah. it's just odd, man. Like, yeah, dang Germans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, this is what they did after they stopped making tanks. <laughs> there you go. All right. So the main topic for today's podcast was inspired by a question from some TV show filming that we've been doing. We're building a workbench for a new workbench for the TV show set. Uh, And it's a Chris Fitch design. And I wrote the article for it and I called it the just right workbench because it's, it's much smaller than the one that we've been using low these 17 seasons. Mm -hmm. Um, But it also has a cabinet base on it. So the question was, is just because you see the stark difference in size, you know, what would you use a workbench like this for? Which got me thinking that people use their, and especially since you're about to start on a workbench build, Mm -hmm. Logan, is that people use workbenches for very different reasons. Yeah. In shops. So when you're thinking about your workbench and building it, what's your when you visualize yourself working at it, what are you doing? Um what I consider bench work. If that makes sense. So like I I know John you it's do a, bench I know work at, your, at your bench. I know. Boom. Weird. Boom. I know. I know. Um but what I consider bench work is like handheld operations whether that is routing with a handheld router okay chiseling planing cutting dovetails 
assembly. I mean, some people will have an assembly table, but I assemble at my workbench. Okay. Um, that type of stuff. Um, parts when they when parts come to my workbench, they've been through the joiner, they've been through the planer, they've been through the table saw, bandsaw, whatever. And the workbench is the refining phase. So it is the fine work phase. The rough work has been done already. Um, I generally tend to, if, if I'm taking my time to build something, which I like to, I don't generally like to rush through, but if I'm taking my time to, to, um, build something, generally I like to oversize stuff and then fine tune it at the bench. So parts cut to length are cut a little long and I'll shooting board them. Um, okay. Parts are probably at finished width, but I will clean up the edges with a black plane or my joiner plane. So that's generally what I'm doing at the bench. Um, I I mentioned today as I was working on that bench, installing devices, it's a a Whittle guy. Like, it feels so small compared to the bench we've been using, and it feels so small compared to the bench I'm sitting at right now. Um but the only time I need the extra size is a when I'm stacking crap on it, or b when I have a big case piece. But I don't always do big case pieces, so for the most part, it's fine. Like I'm not planning stuff that long that I can't fit it. I, d- I didn't actually measure when I drilled dog holes today. I didn't measure how long a piece I get in the dog holes, but I'm assuming I could probably get 48 inches in the dog holes. I think so because I had a blank for some picture frame stock that I was cleaning up a rabbit on, and I'm I'm yeah. pretty sure that one was close to 48 inches long. Yeah, um, and maybe we we need to drill one more dog hole and put a bench pop in there or something, you know, to get yeah. 48 inches. Um, because that bench top's fairly what I'm considering fairly small. It's like it's what, what 60 20, inches or something. Yeah, 24 yeah. by 60 or something. 60 inches by 20 not, 26. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, and so that's what that's what I'm considering my bench being used for is the refining stuff. Like to me, my bench is like the quiet time. The bench work is like the quiet time. I mean, yeah, I'm probably beating on chisels and stuff like that, but like right. it's not the dust collector's not running, planer's yeah. not running, table saw's not running. It's my quiet time. This is this is where the real woodworking happens, not necessarily the table saw, the joiner, and the planer. Sure. Yeah. You know, that, I mean, that sounds a little pompous. That should go in Mortise and Tenon magazine. But <laughs> <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> nice. So how about you, yeah. John? Uh, especially considering your previous employment in a cabinet shop. Right. How are you using a workbench either there or considering there and then being here. Yeah. I mean, kind of like what Logan said, it's mostly, I mean, you get to the point where you have all your parts to the basic sizes and shapes and stuff. And yeah, mostly doing hand tools or, um, you know, some assembly and whatnot. And, trying to think my workbench at home is probably like three feet by seven feet. And I don't know that I've ever really used the full breadth of it on most projects. I mean, even, I mean, most cabinet assemblies are, you know, three feet by two feet by two feet. 
Right. So mm-hmm. the the workbench that we're building right now is you know plenty big for most projects and so I think what it ends up is like bigger workbenches just you know more space to throw all your crap on yeah. for the most part unless you're yeah. constantly assembling large projects or working with you know really long pieces or you know large things so well and and to to that note you know I do have I have a big assembly table in I call it an assembly table. It is a, you know, f- probably 95 foot radius assembly table because there's a big sag in the center of it. <laughs> um, so it's not a real good assembly table right now. But if I'm doing bigger stuff, I do have that. So as I'm planning on this new workbench, which is the Stephen Bunn one, I, I mentioned that we have the, the rights to publish. Um, it's a It's a shorter bench as well. And I'm wondering, am I going to miss the size? And I don't think I'm going to necessarily. Um, I think that there has been maybe two times that I've used the entire length of this workbench. One of which was uh, when I was working on that big poker table. Okay. Um, because that had a big like octagon top, but it was a stretched octagon. So it was, you know, like seven foot long on the sides. So it was pretty big, um, you know, like gluing up, like, I don't know, would you guys glue up a tabletop on your workbench or would you glue that up on sawhorses? Uh, I've glued up tabletops on the workbench, yeah. unless it's humongous, it, but, but most, yeah, ta- but, most glue ups I do on the workbench. Yeah. But I mean, at that point, it doesn't really matter if it hangs off the ends of the workbench. Really. Right. No. Cause you're, I, at least for me, I'm putting them up on blocks <coughs> anyway, so you can yeah. kind of get clamps, you know, top and yeah. bottom. So there's going to be overhang or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. For me, if you have the room, I kind of like the setup in the magazine shop where there's that like four foot by six foot out feet, uh, table outside the, or on the backside of the table saw that a lot of times gets used for assembly. Cause I, I like having my workbench free. Cause you're always going back and like, you know, doing handwork, like fixing or fine tuning uh, tenons and mortises and then coming back to the mm-hmm. assembly. So it's nice having your space where you're working and then also having an assembly area kind of separate. So you kind of go back and forth, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it takes up a lot of room, but it also, um, you know, works as the outfeed table and which if multiple people are working, it usually is a pain because somebody is assembling something and then, I'll come to cut something on the table saw and yeah, it's in the way. But if you have a, sh- a shop of your own, you're not sharing with other, you know, other people, you can kind of work around that. So, yeah, I thought it was an interesting question because then looking around and people can see this on our uh, shop updates that we do on Thursdays on YouTube and Facebook uh, about how, the three main users of that shop, Dylan, Mark, and Steve, use their workbenches. And each one uses their bench in very different ways. <laughs> yeah. Can you so, elaborate on that, Phil? I will, because I'm gonna put I'll put photos of their bench spaces mm-hmm. on the show notes page. Cause yes. uh Are you gonna put Dylan on blast? <laughs> 
because <laughs> I don't because when when Nathan asked the question about what you'd use the workbench for, there's a lot of different ways that you can use a workbench. So for example, Mark Hopkins, shop manager, he uses a workbench probably what I would consider the standard or traditional way, that it's the main work surface for handheld power tools, hardware assembly, you know, finessing parts, um, how I how I plan on using like that, yes. yeah, yeah right like the way that you described very much so. Yep. Steve Johnson has two workbenches. He's got a bench that's identical to the one that Mark has, but that one is pushed up against a wall, and it's got a set of shelves on it, and that, those benches also have have a mm -hmm. a bunch of yeah. drawers on, underneath the bench surface yeah. and his is essentially a tool cabinet and um boy almost like an on deck circle yeah it's like his staging area for yeah. his yeah. tools so, and yeah. his plans are stuff. always laid out over yeah. there yep and he's got a yep. couple of yeah like john said there's some tools laid out that he's going to be using and then his main work surface is a MDF topped bench that John designed and that's where Steve does the work on it. But you know, like his main bench, so to speak is just basically like, if you remember or have ever been to like an old timey store, like with a, a big apothecary shop or counter in it, where it's a big long countertop for working on storage on the like gallery behind it and a bunch of drawers below it built, like a battleship. Mm -hmm. So that's how he uses that bench, so to speak. The other bench is more of a, an assembly table. Dylan has a equally stout, all three of them have very strongly built sturdy benches. And Dylan's is, I would say more of a staging area, even so than Steve's like Steve's is more of like a, like a, a countertop storage and Dylan's is a staging area. Because the way Dylan works is, so he his workbench, he's got his plans laid out, probably a couple of boxes of hardware and some tools that he's going to be using. And he does a lot of his work at specific tools. So whether it's at the router table or table saw or planer joiner, you know, he's doing some of that finesse work at those locations and then when it's time for assembly in the shop we have a giant assembly table and that's where he's doing the assembly work so it's and in all of those you can kind of see the philosophy of how people use tools like what tools are important to them to do specific tasks yeah so do you guys see value in having some form of counter top cabinet system in your in you like your personal shops because that i mean that's basically what steve's using mm. his for right is is kind of like a i mean steve would i think in essence get the same ut utility out of having like kitchen cabinet bases with a counter like just call it a melamine countertop on top. Yeah. I think he would I would I think he would realize the same utility out of that as he does what he currently has in that bench. Yeah. Uh, I would agree. Would, um do you think in your shops you guys would see the same form of 
usefulness out of that? Or would you want something more? Like, it could be a work service if you wanted it to. That's an interesting question. I would probably prefer the countertop with storage. And that's kind of the way that I built my tool cabinet in the sense that I have like a little drop down cubby door that I can use as a kind of a ready space for tools that I don't really want cluttering the bench, but I know that I'm going to need it in the near future. Um, and then a little backstory is I was always, what I always thought was really cool on the new Yankee workshop was Norm's giant hutch that he had behind his workbench. So it had a countertop, a bajillion drawers down below. And then, and this was the least attractive part to me was the upper area was just slots and cubbies and all shelves for whatever. It was a lot of visual chaos that kind of drives me nuts. However, we just did it for season 17 for the TV show. John designed the shop organizer that we have in the studio now. And I think that serves that same kind of purpose. And if I had space for it in my shop, I would have something like that in a flash. Yeah. What about you, John? I mean, uh, so I have some cabinets. I ended up with like a 12 foot long, uh, antique cabinet from the, um, from one of the auctions here. Oh, I remember oh, that. the carriage house oh, one. Yeah, yeah, the carriage house. So oh. it has sliding doors on it, but it's like on the other side of the garage. So I store all of my, like, you know, uh, battery-powered tools and all this stuff in that. And I use that countertop some, but it's not really close enough to the workbench to be, you know, using simultaneously. So I have um, a cart that I'll pull out, and that's my, like, staging area as i'm using the workbench sure that has my tools on it or i'll use the the table saw if it's out and nearby as a staging area and keep stuff on that so it's not on the workbench and in the way that way so but okay. yeah it's good to have a like a staging kind of like phil was talking about the the power tool station that we have on the set now is it's kind of you know has everything there it's visible got a little you know countertop for staging stuff or getting out the tools or and and then it's off the workbench as well so i kind of find that handy i guess yeah so i i don't watch a ton of his stuff the one that i've really liked i mean i i I understand having watched a lot of the new yankee workshop stuff that's coming out i i I know that tool hutch and i like the idea behind it but the the visual chaos it drives me nuts as well Mm -hmm. um the one guy that I, I've always found his stuff or his setup a little interesting is uh, Rob Cosman. He has this kind of big cabinet behind his workbench that has some counter space, but then his tools are all behind it or up top. And I kind of like that setup because, you know, when Phil, you say a, like an old school apothecary type setup where it's like the count, the work service counter, or I think of almost like a old, timey bar where it's like there's a counter back behind the bar right and then all the bottles are up on the wall i kind of like that setup where it's like hey there's some workspace back there if you need to set stuff on but there's not enough that you can pile crap there like there's enough that i you could set your router there and and just keep it off your workbench for now but it's not big enough that you could 
load it up with crap, and then it just becomes a catch-all, which is <laughs> what my assembly table ends up being. <laughs> One of our sister publications, Old House Journal, just recently did a feature to Kitchen where they brought in an old apothecary cabinet and used it as part of the kitchen furniture cabinets or whatever. And that kind of is what made me think of that. So I'm going to see if I can find that photo and I'll put that on our uh, show notes page for that. But yeah, no, I, I like the idea. That's yeah. A few seasons ago, we did a show where we built a wall shelf where it was like a shop organizer. Um, and that's kind of like the mm -hmm. upper section of the organizer that you did, John, is kind of influenced by that. And then we had another one in the back shop. So I like that. I have that in my workshop. But yeah, the organizer that you did, it has that larger space, but then it also has a like a raised shelf with a couple of drawers nearby. So it's almost like countertop, tool storage, tool rack. There's just a lot to love about it. So things can be things kind of like are naturally organized, even if they are still a little bit, a little bit of chaos on there. So mm -hmm. it's cool. So I would love to hear how other people use their workbenches because to go back to the new Yankee workshop example, like the main workbench that Norm uses a lot or used for the majority of us. And I think that was an episode two was this plastic laminate covered um, cart that he called it his workbench, but it was, it was basically an assembly table. It was very similar, I think, to the assembly table that we have in the shop now, which I think was originally a big sweep from the photo studio. Mm -hmm. It was. So, yeah. How do you use your workbench? That's what I want to know. Because I think, I think a lot of woodworkers are drawn to a nostalgia, vintage-inspired workbench visual look to it, but don't necessarily use it the same way that a 18th or a 19th century cabinet maker, carpenter, craftsman would use it. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yep. Also, there are 45 different forms of workbenches and all of them are quite acceptable to see in use. And I think Chris Schwartz has a book on each one. If you are interested, let's start press.com. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And he settled on a very simple French inspired design, the Rubo bench. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot to love about it, but, it's not necessarily the bench for everybody. Yep. I, for one, love my shaker-inspired one. Yeah. Having worked on a shaker-style bench, I think I like that style as well. So, I will say cleaning up this vice over the last couple of days for the new bench in the sh sh studio there really makes me excited to work on this Emmert vice to get it installed on this bench so okay we'll see yeah we'll see it's fun yeah. 
All right, I think that wraps up another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. I would love it if you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks that you want to share with us. You can do so in the comment section on our YouTube channel. You can also send us an email, woodsmith at woodsmith.com. Share any questions that you have about workbenches or comments. That would be all very appropriate for today's episode or whatever you have on woodworking. We'd like to do a Q&A episode in the near future so send us your questions as well um, thanks to woodline usa uh, you know them for making router bits of all various styles and functions and uh, they have a lot more going on at their site woodline.com for saw blades shop gear everything that you need to build great projects so check it out thanks for listening everybody Bye.